thanks so much for being here. My name is Lindsay Erdman. I'm the chair of the KD Education Committee. And here today we're talking about the framework and the application of the new um, professional programmatic standards. I'd like to uh, introduce my colleagues and, and they'll um, go around and, and introduce themselves. We'll start with Ryan. I'm Ryan Krizanovich. I'm a clinical associate professor and program director for the Masters of Science and Athletic Training at the University at Buffalo. And Melissa? My name is Dr. Melissa Long. I am an assistant professor at Abilene Christian University in Abilene, Texas. Um, we just got our initial accreditation under the new 2020 standards for our new Masters of Athletic Training program. Great, congratulations. Jess? Hi, I'm Jess Edler-Nye, and I am an assistant professor and clinical education coordinator at Grandview University. Kirk? My name is Kirk Armstrong. I'm a professor in the Department of Health Professions and also serve as the academic unit head and a faculty within our Master of Science of Athletic Training program at James Madison University. Julie? Hi, I'm Julie Cavallario. I'm the program director and assistant professor at Old Dominion University, and we also just did our comprehensive review and we'll have our site visit this year under the 2020 standards. Great. And last but not least, Bart, uh, we are really appreciative that you prepared um, the uh, module for us to learn more about the history of the framework. Please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Bart Anderson. I'm a professor and clinical education coordinator at AT Still University, and I currently serve as a member of the Katie Standards Committee. Great. So just to remind everybody the context, we've provided uh, uh, brief videos of the background, um, why the Standards Committee approached the kind of um, program delivery and assessment pieces around this idea of the framework. And if you haven't had a chance to watch those videos, they'd be really helpful to watch in advance to, to this session. Um, the first kind of question that we wanna consider or talk about, um, and I think specifically those of you who've had some experiences, how do you feel is the best approach for a program to tell their story or to describe their framework? I guess I'll go first. So. Uh, at University of Buffalo, we went through our comprehensive review last academic year using these standards. And, you know, for us, it wasn't just me as a program director really telling our story. We had to really look at the rest of the core faculty, our clinical education coordinator, our third faculty member, our department chair, deans, and even um, you know, our medical director were involved in preceptors and really getting a, a more comprehensive view from just myself as the program director with my lens on how I might think that our story looks. It really involved multiple people. And it, at times it was difficult to get that down on the paper um, and, and really talk about what we're doing, but we made it work. And I think it's, it's part of that, that team that other trainers are just really good at being part of a team as it is. I think I'll jump in and just say, in addition to that, you know, when we when we told our story and one of the things I found and and talking to other program directors that had done the 2012 standards or had been in the profession a lot longer than myself, um, they said, you know, this is this used to be and what Bart had said in his video, this used to be paper and pencil and 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 a binder and had this huge story of how your program came to be. 
And now that we're on EACRED, it doesn't have that anymore. And I never served as a program director pre-EACRED, so I had no idea. So that really helped. And so to be honest, the way we did it is we talked about our story and how we became a program and how things started here and the ideas that were happening before I even came here. And we sat down and we, we had a conversation with a, with a recorder going. And so then we were able to transcribe that data and, and then eventually come up with our story. But that really helped be able to get things on paper that we wouldn't have otherwise been able to really write down. And that was a big step, I think, that really helped us start, start our story and just knew where we came from before even I was here, my clinical coordinator. So. I would um, echo what you both have said. And then the other piece that I would say from an advice standpoint is to look at what is required in the standard, but don't feel confined to adhere to strictly just that. Um, obviously those components need to be included, but the two things that you guys just talked about from a standpoint of like the history and how we came to be and where do we fit in, um, in, in the program of the university and, and how that story gets told, those aren't required elements. The history of your program isn't a required element for the framework, but it is a piece of your story and it gives the, the peer review team that's gonna be looking at your materials a really good contextual environment from which to draw from. So I think that that would be my tip and advice is do the things that are required, but don't feel like that's the box that you have to live in when it comes to this piece is you can make the framework um, about way more than just those required elements. Yeah, absolutely. The context of, in how the, our programs come to be is really, I think, uh, steeped within the standards as well. So when we think about wh where our programs are housed, that story has history for, for all of us, right? where who we're collaborating with how are we how we access resources come from the institutional history and how um you know relationships start and evolve and develop so absolutely i think the contextualization really really helps to um tell the story melissa you you bring up a really good point and i think bart really hammered this home in his presentation just from a academic administrator perspective like the latitude to actually tell the story versus clicking some boxes and showing you the pieces without putting the pieces together from a, from a peer reviewer perspective to hear the story is going to be easier i think from from that from that point of view than just looking at the pieces of the of how you might have engaged in assessment which i think was where some of the limitations of eacred came in um, Bart, in your presentation, you talked about um, the core principles of a program. Can you talk about how a program might come to develop those and um, how they might communicate them, how they're developed from that kind of those original conversations? Sure. Um, you know, I think that kind of the approach that, that Melissa said that she took with her program where you basically just sat down with, you know, all of your core faculty and, and the relevant stakeholders and had discussions about, you know, what, what are we doing? What are we as a program? How, how have we come to be? Where do we want to go in the future? Um, and really kind of thinking through all of the different um, parts of the framework, but then also parts of the program. Um, so you have your curricular side and your clinical side and, and all of those different aspects and figuring out kind of what, what are we doing well? What, what do we want to do better? Um, kind of what do we stand for as a program? 
um, those are really kind of in my mind how you how you start to develop some of the core principles of the program. And if you have a program that has a very long-standing history, being able to tell some of that um, that history um, also then helps you kind of uh, kind of enumerate your your core principles and what your program stands for. So yeah. I think that that's a good one good approach. Um, is just having those conversations with with all of the people that are involved um, to kind of come to a consensus of this is this is what we stand for this is and this is where we want to go as a program. It feels to me like a big connection between um, looking at the mission of the university, mission of the college. What does your university stand for, and what are its core values, and then developing a program that ties those in in addition to kind of what your what your center point is as an institution. Kirk, did you want to say something there? I would just like to echo that. I think that starting with the mission, vision, and values is a really great place to start because once you have identified your program mission, vision, and values, from that, your assessment will spin right off of that. Your curricular design, your clinical education component, that really kind of will then anchor everything that you're doing. And like you said, align it with your institutional mission, align it with your college or department mission. And that then allows you to really use that as the base for which you build your entire program. And the rest of the framework will and can easily fall into place once you really get those critical core components established. Yeah. I think the other way to look at it is um, from a curricular design standpoint is you can do reverse, reverse design. So what is the product I want to create? What is the clinician I'm hoping to produce? And working backwards from there, bringing in all the kind of components and pieces of assessment and the framework. But if I look at who, who that product is and the values that product will have, it's easy to kind of work or translate backwards. That's exactly how we created our curriculum kind of that reverse model after we had discussions and kind of looking at the uh, mission vision and creating that component. And then we kind of created areas of distinctiveness that are we think are, are kind of highlights of our program. And we put them in our strategic plan. And now that we've had our first cohort graduate and you know we're in our third cohort now, we sat down in May, on Zoom in May, right, and went back through and said, okay, what does this actually look like now? Do these points of distinctiveness still make sense now that we have graduates out there and we have more data now that we can go back in and refine what we did initially? And, and then that's the kind of the end time back in strategic planning process that we do every year, no matter what, uh, you know, to make sure we tie that loop back in. Yeah. There's definitely value in, um, I even though the the phrasing of points of distinctiveness has historically been part of post-professional ed, I think in today's recruitment climate, professional programs really need to have that niche program or the way in which they are differentiating themselves. And I think that goes to the core values of the program. You know, how do we make ourselves distinctive in addition to, to meeting all the standards. So Bart, the, the looming question is that the framework is really daunting. I think a lot of people feel like it's really overwhelming. And when you and I have talked in the past, um, you know, some of what we've talked about is that it's kind of seeing the forest through the trees. 
And in many ways, programs already have the pieces, but they're not quite sure how to contextualize them or, or um, communicate them in, in terms of the framework. So how would you suggest, we've talked about, you know, these initial stakeholder meetings and conversations, but where do you start when developing the framework? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's the big question. Um, and I'm actually interested to hear from some of our panelists today who have actually made that decision and figured out where to start and how to put it all together. Um, you know, in the webinar that I recorded and the way that I've always looked at, at the framework since um, the standards committee kind of um, created that that standard and and the vision of the spirit of that standard is if you have an existing program which many of us do um, is to essentially take all of the parts of your program and start looking at and describing those different parts um, and you know I would probably if I was doing this um, I would look at the individual uh, administrative standards that tied directly back to the framework and and I've tried to make some of those connections in the in the webinar but if you look at um, you know the narratives that you would write for those individual standards um, as part of your comprehensive review process those narratives with a little bit of tweaking could easily be translated into the specific components of your framework and so you've already got all of these pieces together um, writing about them, describing them, talking about how they came about, decisions that were made, and then connecting those to each other. I think that's at least how I would approach kind of how would I start it. I'd start looking at the individual components, um, writing the, some of those narratives, and then trying to put that together into a comprehensive written document or the framework, which then tells the story of the program. Um, if you were building from scratch, I suppose the other way you could go about it is to to brainstorm what do we want this program to look like to capture those discussions to to get your faculty and stakeholders involved and kind of record that process of building those those com program components um, as you go and then just making sure that you're connecting how they all fit together and how they support one another. But I would really love to hear how, how you guys who have actually built the program framework, how did you approach it? Where did you start? Did you take more of a start from scratch and build the framework or more of a how does our program, these components that we already have fit together? I think <clears throat> I'll go first. Um, to be honest, standard two was the last standard we did. Like we did, we had just as you said, Bar, all the other parts were done. We already we knew what was required. We knew what we wanted to do extra. We knew what we wanted to do to set ourselves apart. And so all those parts were written already for all those other standards. And then you we all knew how we tied it together. We just had to have a discussion about it. And so number two, yes, it is the most daunting, but it was also the last one because really all the work was done. Um, I don't know if there's a best practice. But one of the other things I did that was really beneficial was um, one of my friends is an English teacher. We're totally different people. But he spends a lot of time in our department just hanging out. And he's like, you guys have, you, it's, all, it's all creative writing. You could tie this all together. And I was like, yeah, you're the creative writer, not me. And so he was really instrumental in helping us put a finger on what we were trying to say. Um, and, and 
just having that outside vision from someone that's not an athletic trainer to see how we interact as a program, what we feed into, what's important to us, even though we might say the X, Y, and Z are important. He's like, those are, but so is L, M, and N. And you never even mentioned that. And so he really helped us see things and he had a way with words that really helped as well. Um, and I, again, I don't know that that's best practice, but man, it gives you a totally different perspective on what you, what we thought framework actually was versus what we were actually doing and then be able to write that down. And I think, I think with something like this, the best practice is whatever is going to work best for your individual program, right? So if, if you and your stakeholders find that conversations and having an, uh, you know, a, an English teacher help out with the, the way to put that story together works best for you, then by all means, take advantage of that. Whereas a different program may have a different approach that, that works best for them. I think that's interesting, Melissa, that you mentioned um the idea that the other pieces were written and then you worked backwards. I think it also gives you a check. It's like a, an internal audit. Do I have all the pieces that I thought I did to make the framework? And so it's kind of, you know, making sure that all the pieces that I've already conceptualized kind of go together in the way that I think they do. So it's kind of like that internal check. Um, I would, I would like to share what we did and then what I wish we had done, if I can do that for a second, <laughs> um, because I kind of discovered a better mechanism partway through our process, but, uh, we were building from scratch. Um, so ODU had transitioned from a post-professional program into a professional program. So it was a clean slate. Um, and so knowing the framework standard as well as I did, I really like made an intention to like put little pieces of it in faculty meetings every week, um, not to tackle it all at once, but to say, hey, like, you know, we have this mission statement. Is this where we really want it to be? Let's look at the sentence. Let's talk about that sentence this week. And then the next week we might do something else. And then, so I was kind of trying to build it slowly over time and that was working fine. Um, and then in within a couple months of the semester, I organized a full day long, everyone loves those, um, I called it a program workshop where we were taking the curricular content standards and mapping them curricularly, right? So we were taking that content that needed to be taught and assessed. And I was like, it just needs to be a day where we sit down as a faculty and really talk about where is this primarily being taught, where is it secondarily being taught, and where are we assessing them within those. And um, in hindsight, I wish we had started with that because a lot of what came out of that day long workshop really helped us formulate. I think it probably aligns best with like core principles, um, but it also, in the end, we ended up revising the mission statement that we had already revised because there were some things that came out where we realized as a faculty, this was being threaded throughout our curriculum and clearly it was a priority in how we wanted to deliver that content. And so some things really came out of that workshop where we really were able to identify as a faculty, things that were a priority for us to be not taught in an individual course or necessarily assessed in an individual course, but really threaded throughout the curriculum. And so um, in hindsight, I wish that we had done that like in a day right before the semester started and really hit that. And that would have really helped set up that framework process, I think a little more easily we got there in the end. But um, so if I had a piece to go back and redo, or if someone's starting from scratch and wants to do it again, I would say that big workshop where you really sit down and talk about where things are being taught in your program really brings out some of the stuff that's a priority for you as a faculty. 
So for Julian, the rest of you that have done this already in terms of building a framework, how did you identify some of the stakeholders that you involved in those conversations? I mean, we think about preceptors and students and core faculty, um, but who are some of the other individuals that you brought into that? So here at ODU, we have a, a pretty robust um, group of PhD students. So I will say, so in addition to core faculty, we did involve our medical director, um, but one of the priorities of our PhD program is faculty training. Um, so we involve them in a lot of things in our program in terms of uh, they participate in faculty meetings, they, they're encouraged to participate in discussions. So we included those and they TA in our courses. So um, they do have a vested interest. And then um, I think our upper administration was looking more to not necessarily be involved in the full creation, but in the feedback piece of let us see what you've had and we'll talk about where we feel like it aligns. Lindsay's laughing because she knows my Dean. Um, but uh, so um, I think that, you know, we had some where we identified people who should be involved in that kind of formative part of it and then people that would be more feedback oriented. Um, we brought in some preceptors and some um, some people early on that we felt like could really give us some feedback as we were building it and then other preceptors we've used for feedback purposes maybe they're not as involved with our program or the university um, and then i will just give my one thing on that i have found really to be very interesting that was kind of i did it on a whim if i'm being totally honest um, i built in in our administration and policy course when i teach swot analysis i make the students do a swot on the program and it has been really interesting to read the things and we've started talking about how we will be using that on a yearly basis to go back and look at our swot and our framework and talk about things that are strengths and weaknesses opportunities and threats and it's just really interesting because the students identified things that we didn't as a faculty so i would really throw that out there as a a helpful tip. It, it was a practice for them, but it was really useful for us and we'll use that and incorporate that as we go forward. Um, and I, we've had, we've given the students the framework and talked about what it is, but that was the first time that we really brought them into the fold of like, what do you think about the program and what could we do differently? And I think that their feedback has been really valuable in that part. Similar to Julie, we brought the similar people in, as I mentioned earlier, we also brought in our Vice President of Interprofessional Education. We're at a academic health center here, so we have a very robust you know, uh, interprofessional education uh, group and, and leadership team. So we brought her in to, to really, we thought that could be really a point of distinctiveness for us on our program and the unique things we can do, giving kind of the, the framework of our university and how many different accreditors require it within uh, all of our health professions we have here. I think other campus offices are huge, right? So Faculty Center for Teaching Excellence, but the one that comes to mind the most right now is diversity, equity, and inclusion. We've started to uh, basically refer materials from the program to their office for review. So things like admissions or um, major assessments that would result in the students being retained or not and making sure that we're um, we're having external appraisal of those processes, um, which I think all tie to the to the framework, especially if you see that your core values are diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'd, off, I'd also offer um, the one we brought in that hasn't been mentioned yet is we went out into the community and found um, people that we could see as future employees of our graduates. Um, so like there's a clinic in town and then the high schools in town 
that all hire athletic trainers in, and a little farther outside of town and ask them, like, what are you looking for in your first employees? Like when they come out and graduate from our program, what do you want to see in them? Because some, there's other things too, you know, it's not just, did they pass their BOC? Obviously that's important, but do they communicate well with others? Do they have good rapport? Like, um, can they like interprofessional education as we name it in through the Katie is one thing, but the way that looks in some clinics is very different. And so making sure that our students can function in those roles and be productive members of their place of employment right off the bat. And I think that really added to our framework as well. Yeah, that brings up a really good point, um, future employers, but I, I'm just thinking about our relatively rural community is really quite saturated with athletic trainers. I'd love to know what parents think and the secondary school setting or school administrators think about um, the kind of athletic trainer they would wanna be collaborating with or working with. Uh, it just opens your mind to, so many different potential partners. Thanks for sharing that, Melissa. Can I follow up on, on that from the couple of you that have, have gone through this, or three of you that have gone through this process? How did you go about, so obviously your core faculty were gonna be involved and, and maybe you brought in some preceptors and the medical director, but those people that were gonna actually be instrumental in the development, how did you go about um, kind of dividing the work or or kind of assigning how did how did your core faculty actually engage in the development of the of the framework going back to that working backwards thing get all the other ones done you know we I, I know they say work as a whole team but let's be honest we all divvy up standards right mm -hmm. and so then whoever kind of wrote that standard even though we all read it we all reviewed it and we all had to agree on it they kind of had ownership of that part when developing the framework and then just making it flow nicely. So it was different people, but at the same time, at the end, it was all of us coming together to make sure that we agreed on all of it and that it, and that it was what we were trying to say. I think like, uh, you know, for the preceptors especially, having our coordinator of clinical education really work with them and, and she does it daily as it is and has such a good rapport with them and getting their information and, and going that route and kind of the, our model is our third faculty members, kind of a research tenure track faculty, tenured faculty. So her mind's more on uh, the research and grant writing and whatnot. So we actually didn't have anyone besides her in the framework that I think could have been better uh, eventually. And I think that's part of our strategic planning process, but really relying on uh, our CCE to really work well with the, the preceptor since she does that so well on a, on a daily basis. From a more like, um, developmental process, Barbara, I would have said that, uh, you know, I kind of felt like I was, it's the qualitative researcher in me. Um, I kind of felt like I was facilitating focus groups and then coming back and presenting what I took away from it. Um, so like whenever we had these group conversations, I'd take notes, I'd go back, I'd write it up and then I'd come back the next time and be like, kind of, here's what I took away. Let's take a look at that. Does that represent what you thought you were kind of talking about? And how did you feel like that? How did it make you feel? Um, but like more kind of taking away just this kind of approach of this is what I walked away from having heard. Is this an accurate representation of that? So I, I, I think that from the, the program director perspective, I definitely took on the bulk of the, the scribing of it. Uh, I didn't have a creative writer available to me, unfortunately. But um, so, I, you know, I, I felt like that's kind of what my role was. But I think we the development um, of the content really was where we worked together as a large group. And then I would 
go away and bring it back and we would edit it from there. But I think that's really where my role was to facilitate the transition from the conversational piece to the written product. So we're gonna shift gears a little bit in terms of um, when we're thinking about the framework, we obviously have some of these programmatic goals or these kind of big picture things that we're looking for to get out of the program. And then we get a little bit more granular down at the student learning outcomes. When you all were conceptualizing your framework or just philosophically from um, kind of Jess, Kirk, and Bart's perspective, do we think that the framework should include both those kind of big programmatic big picture outcomes as well as the student learning outcomes? Um, and, and if you're gonna get down to that granular level, what's the best way to kind of communicate that? I'll start big picture. So I think that you're right. You do need both the program outcomes, which like you said, hopefully would include things like retention and overall job placement. But also I think like you said, uh, diversity, equis, equity, inclusion, and justice are going to be huge program goals that I think many programs are focusing on, and not only in attracting and retaining diverse students and faculty, but also then being able to provide holistic patient care to a diverse population. So I think that those are going to be important, but then the student learning outcomes are ultimately as important because that's really then what helps frame your assessment component to it. So I think that both are going to be good. And I think that from the, the larger perspective, 10,000 foot view, I think that you should have separate program goals as well as the different student, lear student learning outcomes. So we're all in agreement, both. Perfect. So I think that it's hard to say, no, you shouldn't have that because we need all of it. But I think that when you are going about developing your framework, it's okay to have just different sections. You know, obviously it all goes in the same standard, but it's really hard to tie like my overarching program goal to like student learning outcome number 74. Like that's a, that's a long thread to draw. Eventually you can get there if you tie it all together the right way. And, and that's, that's good, that's eventually what you want, but you can't just say this goes to this and this goes to that. When you're building that overall framework, you kind of got to visualize the big and the middle, then the little bit lower, and then and then the nitty gritty underneath. And I think that's okay to think about it that way for a lot of the time. Yeah, it's really the hierarchical structure. And I actually think the curricular content standards lend to that kind of communication. So the idea of developing a high quality clinician, which may or may not be a programmatic goal, can be drawn down to the curricular content standard that develops that high quality clinician in multiple uh, body systems, right? So I think the, the translation is there. I actually think the standards lend to that kind of communication. So if this is my overarching programmatic goal, I can tie that directly back to curricular content standards within the same idea of the framework. Yeah, I would say that we um, we also kind of divvied up which stakeholders would really be involved in some of the development of those goals, you know, programmatic goals. Uh, we focused on the core faculty and the upper administration and we tied those to our vision statement um, for the program. And then when we got to the student learning outcomes and, and really looking at that, we actually collab, I'm sure other people have done the same, but we collaborated with our Office of Institutional Effectiveness and really kind of looked at what we were trying to get at with our student learning outcomes and kind of were able to 
take the curricular content standards and and our kind of programmatic goals and pare that down to some reasonably achievable um, goals that we could write as student learning outcomes as part of our both our institutional assessment plan, but then also for our framework. So many of you guys have talked about moments where you've kind of had a light bulb turn on after maybe you've approached something in a particular way and, and then figured out maybe that didn't work. Um, but, you know, there's so many elements to the framework. Do we have any suggestion as to your best approach when you start to realize something's not working? Like, how do we backtrack or how do we reassess the situation? How frequently are you doing that? Um, what, what do we think are kind of best practices for, for reconsidering if one of the pieces of the framework's maybe not working? My personal approach is to view it, uh, this is kind of how we've talked about it, is like, I like to view it as a fluid document. I don't think it should be, oh, we wrote this five years ago, we'll put it on the shelf and come back to it next self-study. Like, that's not what it should be. It's not um, a useful document. So for me, it's like the profiles in EACRED, right? You update them whenever you need to. Um, if we're talking about, so for example, at the start of this year, our department decided to rewrite their uh, mission statement. So then we needed to go back and look at our mission statement. And so I think just going back to that as often as you need to, um, instead of, obviously you have to submit one at one point in time, but that shouldn't be the framework and you never go back and visit it again. I really think that that should be very fluid and um, meet the needs of your program whenever you need it to. I'd agree with Julie. I think that it should be a part of your program's annual assessment process that you're looking at when you look at your student learning outcomes, your clinical education, and your didactic education, that you go back and just add that as one more component that you talk about. And so that this does become, like she said, not just a, a fluid document, but a meaningful document that really shows how your program is engaging in that continuous quality improvement and is always trying to be better at preparing the next generation of healthcare professionals. It, I was gonna say, it, take a deep breath if something's not working out well, that's okay, that's part of the process, right? And it goes back to that quality improvement, almost the process that document it, you know, why didn't it work, reflect upon that, and what can we do next to improve that and, and go from there. That's my favorite example to use in teaching when I'm teaching quality improvement to the students. Like, let me tell you all the times I've messed up delivering this program. This is quality improvement at its best. Uh, and it, it certainly puts a face and a name to quality improvement. Well, the other side to that, I also think, is as you go through those kind of periodic reviews and you identify those things that maybe you want to change a little bit or you've identified this isn't working as well, put that process into your framework and, and describe that. I mean, that would fit very well into like the strategic planning components. Um, and, and that becomes then a very powerful message for that comprehensive review because it demonstrates that we're actually taking our program assessments and our outcomes and we're looking at that information and then we're making changes to try and improve the program. And over time, you start to collect incidences of those and examples of how you're, as a program, you're, you're utilizing that framework and you're continuing to grow and develop. And I think that that is one of the, once it's built, one of the potential benefits um, going forward um, subsequently is that now you have like this comprehensive view of your program that you can come back to 
and tweak and update as your program changes and grows over time. Yeah, I was going to add to that, just thinking about it from a program who went through initial accreditation on the previous standards, but we've made some pretty substantial changes. I think that's a huge portion of our framework, um, thinking about how we explain and describe where we came from and where we're going, because um, we've made I mean, some major changes to align with the new standards, but also just what we've gotten from feedback from, from students in terms of clinical sites and things like that, um, restructuring curriculum. So I think addressing that is going to be really important. I like what Bart just said. And to be honest, that's one of the bullet points of how to assess the standard is actually writing that down when we change, um, when we make changes. And I know assessment plan technically is a different standard, but it ties into the standard. It's actually mentioned in the annotation of the standard. So if we're doing our due diligence as program directors or whomever, and actually looking and evaluating and updating our assessment plan every year or every semester, depending on however we say that we're going to, then, then absolutely, we should be making changes. If you, if you meet every benchmark you set for yourself, you set them too low, right? I think we've all heard that before. Um, and so you, you're bound to not meet your benchmarks at some point in your assessment plan so then when you make changes to your assessment plan you've now changed your framework to some degree and so just documenting all that and writing it down even if you're just like journaling it at the bottom in your eacred for next time that's still meeting how to address the standard and eventually it's going to serve us us who have to go back through another self-study and now 3.5 years um you know that we're already on the game we're already starting it so well, thank you so much, Bart, for giving us your presentation so we could consider it in preparation for this uh, chat today. We really appreciate it.